0: Well, hello there and welcome back to today's episode of Seven Figure Millennials, where together you and I are on a mission to figure out how we can prioritize our happiness, health, and relationships as we make our entrepreneurial dreams a reality. And if this is your very first episode, I always like to say welcome. So excited to have you here. And if you're returning, welcome back. You know how much I appreciate you for coming back week after week. And whether you are a new friend or an old friend today, you and I get to hang out with Carla Starr. Carla is a columnist for medium and she writes the newsletter, the star report on Substack. She's appeared on NPR and CBS Sunday morning and has written for the Atlantic slate, popular science, and the guardian. She also won an award for best science and health story from the society of professional journalists. Her first book, can you learn to be lucky? Was named a fast company, best book of the year. Her second book, Making Numbers Count, The Art and Science of Communicating Numbers, was co-authored with Chip Heath. And as an aside, if you don't know Chip, he wrote the books Switch and Made to Stick. He's a very famous and popular author. Going back to the bio, uh, so far, Making Numbers Count is a hit with The Wall Street Journal, Kirkus Reviews, Adam Grant, NPR, and The Next Big Idea Club. When she's not working, Carla enjoys cooking, teaching herself graphic design, reading actual books, and taking long walks with her dog, Daisy, plus reading random things online and binge watching TV. (laughs) In this episode, you're gonna learn so much as always, but I would love for you to look out for three specific things. Number one, what almost dying in a freak car accident and having to declare bankruptcy because of the medical bills associated with the car accident actually has to do with being lucky crazy story right in the beginning. Don't miss that one. Number two, why the secret to translating numbers is to avoid using them and how you can use the MacGyver principle to do just that. And number three, Carla coaches me on some ways to communicate my numbers more effectively. I think that's always fun for me as a person that gets to receive some awesome coaching, but also for you because you get to see me work through some stuff real time on the show. So all that to look forward to in today's episode. Before we get started, I wanna give a pre-show listener shout out, which this week goes to Jesse Cole, who left a review saying, Amazing content, amazing wisdom and resources. I can't believe the value shared in this podcast for entree slash solopreneurs, business owners, leaders, and influencers. So thank you so much, Jesse Cole, for that incredible review. And if you haven't had a chance to leave a review yet, what you can do is go to ratethispodcast.com slash seven FM. That's ratethispodcast.com slash seven fm. That'll show you exactly how to leave a review. And if you don't have time to leave review, I would love it if you could just take a second. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, you can scroll up or down and there should be a place for you to leave a, a, a rating. You just tap however many stars you feel like the show deserves. And it'll help me a ton and it'll help the show get a little bit more exposure and grow and all that other good stuff. So with all that said, please enjoy this incredible conversation with Carla Starr. If you had to pick between A, making a ton of money B, being happy, healthy, and surrounded with people you love, or C, making a meaningful impact on the world, which would you choose? The good news is that today, we don't have to choose. So the question is, how can entrepreneurs like you and me, who have a vision for our lives and aren't willing to settle for anything less, how can we become financially successful and have a big impact while prioritizing our happiness, health, and relationships? You and I are on a mission to find out, and we have an incredible journey ahead of us. My name is Brandon Fong, and welcome to the 7 Figure Millennials Podcast. Carla, welcome to the show. Super excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Brandon. It's great to be here.
0: Yes, and I love your book background. For those that are listening, you can't see it. She's got some beautiful elephants, which I, I, I came across in my research as something that's really important to you, which is, which is awesome. And we're going to be diving all into your brand new book, which I'm so excited. But I always like to start with some context before we go into the book um and so i'd love to start with a story that actually when we first met at a zoom meeting you told the story and i was like holy shit, that's insane <laughs> uh, and i think i shared i think i shared it in front of the entire room when we had an opportunity to talk about someone's story so um let's zoom in there so it's a bit before 2008 you're in homer alaska you drop your friend off at the airport in Anchorage, you stop for a gas refill and some Taco Bell, you're driving his truck home and something happens. What happens next?
1: Yeah, so I was driving a truck and, you know, down a kind of empty highway and I turned a corner and there was a patch of black ice that I didn't see. And the truck that I was driving, according to the police report, uh, flipped over five times before coming to a rest on the side of the highway. And I fractured my skull and my wrist in 13 places. And I was there for half an hour before the ambulance came because it was a very small town. I was very lucky that someone saw me and they dialed 911 right away. But so that's how I see the roads were between where I was and the the hospital. So um, yeah, I ended up having to have brain surgery and all kinds of things happen. I also, I didn't have health insurance when that happened. So I had to declare bankruptcy um, because, you know, you're, when you're young really young you don't think about things like that um but anyways I'm okay now and I'm just really grateful to be here
0: yeah and I usually don't like to start with such a dark story no, I mean, <laughs> so you... I apologize for no. just throwing, throwing you right out the clip but 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 I think that this is so important because you've used this as a massive tool and something that you've grown a lot from and obviously you've kind of like leveraged it in your work. Your first book that you wrote is actually called Can You Learn to Be Lucky? And so that's actually where I kind of pulled and I read this because you kind of opened the book with that story there. And so it's it's interesting because you opened the book about luck, about something that was very unlucky that happened. So um, I would love for you to maybe share a little bit about how you kind of leveraged that in that book and then we can dive into some of the stuff with your newest book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Talk about luck. I, I mean, I remember thinking for such a long time after that happened like I am the unluckiest person in the world you know like why did this happen to me um you know I grew up in Buffalo so I knew you know how to drive on ice and snow and everything and um I just felt really sorry for myself for a really long time and then when I was researching luck I really helped me crystallize the idea of how much how important it is not just what happens to us but how we react to it and how we reframe things and whether or not we can make meaning out of it and learn a lesson and just move on with our lives and so i think that was really the starting point for me in learning a lot of lessons about resilience and how to move forward and so now i feel like actually i'm lucky that that happened because i feel like i appreciate life more and i feel like i i mean just knowing how quickly things could end i think it's given me a little bit more courage to go after what i want and you know try new things and set big goals for myself instead of just you know oh, I'll have forever. I'll do that someday. It's like, why not today? You know? Um, and so I did, I opened the story with that in the book, you know, initially I thought it was the unluckiest person in the world. And now I, I realized like there are just a huge long list of reasons why I shouldn't be alive. You know, the doctors told me that they said, oh, if you know, your skull had been fractured in another inch in any other way, if, um, you know, somebody hadn't been around to call 911, because I've been driving, I'd seen nobody for 15 minutes and, Someone happened to be turning onto the main road from his highway just then. Um, he happened to get cell service. All these things happen. So, um, yeah. So now I like to think of it as sort of my origin story. <laughs> like a yeah, superhero. That's yeah. A,
0: that's ridiculous. Let's I, – I I was going to glaze over it, but now I'm kind of curious to dive in a little bit. Like, what was that like sitting there for 30 minutes? What was running through your head?
1: Um, I'm going to die. <laughs> and then I remember thinking my wrist – really hurts and then I looked down and I saw the bone sticking out um and I also I remember tasting the blood trickling down from my skull fracture you know just lying in snow and I remember the guy um you know talking to me because he wanted to make sure I was awake and I yeah I was just sitting there thinking like this is this is the worst I mean I'm you know close to death like this is the worst it could ever be um and then yeah I remember the ambulance came and, you know, police came and I remember them saying, we got to get her out of there.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. So like, and you couldn't do anything, right? Like you, you were completely was like, I just had to sit here. Like you couldn't ha- you didn't have the energy to pick up your phone. Like you couldn't access anything. It was pretty much in the hands of God at that point.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean the truck, it came to a rest on its side, on the driver's side. And so I was like, you know, literally just lying in snow, like trapped by the truck just sitting there you know and so now i think i'm really glad you brought that up because i've been kind of feeling sorry for myself because of the pandemic lately um you know and instead of realizing like oh no this is something bad that's happened to all of us and then also you know i think about that sometimes i think like oh if i'm scared to send an email or if i'm scared to ask something or you know it's like what's the worst that could possibly happen maybe somebody won't respond to my email you know Instead of like, what's the worst that could possibly happen? I'd be sitting with a fractured skull, lying in the snow for half an hour. You know what? I've I've done that. I've survived that.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, so it's I like, love that. I <laughs> yeah. I I recently had on Todd Herman on the show, and he does this whole thing about the alter ego effect, and that's one of the things I've been working on is. Leveraging identities and this idea that he's created about like creating an identity, it's and it's like something that lives inside of you. So it's not like it isn't something that isn't you, but it's tapping into something that lives inside of yourself. And one of the key components of my alter ego is perspective, uh, like because that's a superpower that I want to make sure that I'm incorporating and reminding myself is that at, at any given point I can choose to view this this you know whether sending an email or something else. It's like I can choose to look at it from a powerful perspective or I can choose to look at it from a negative perspective. So uh, I'm glad it was a good reminder for you, but I think that's that we can all work on is that muscle of flexing that perspective on an hourly basis it's easy to hear a story about getting hit by a car and be like "No, i could choose to look at that as a lucky thing and that was obviously an incredible thing that happened to you but i think the real wins happen on a minute by minute hourly basis (laughs) when you have to make that decision to be positive or view things otherwise you know
1: absolutely or just to to not get stuck and to not ruminate and to not obsess over that thing and realize like no actually there's um everything i think that's probably the main thing for me I noticed is that when something negative happens to me or when something I don't like happens to me, it's just, you can kind of fixate, you know, it's like our mind is like a magnifying glass. Um, you know, it's like a fisheye lens. It just focuses on that at the expense of paying attention to everything else that is happening in the world. And I think that's one of the things that got me stuck, you know, a few years after the accidents, I was just kind of like focused on that and, um, just ruminating on that. And I think absolutely it it is a superpower. I think, um, you know, it's important to process things and to, like, give yourself time to, to grieve or to feel whatever it is that happened because, you know, if you suppress things, they can end up coming back. Um, but at the same time, I do think it is, like, the faster you can get to, you know, moving on, like, the better. And there actually is research mm-hmm. showing um, that, you know, you can predict somebody's long-term resilience by looking at how quickly they can get over things on a short-term basis. So, like, the faster mm-hmm. you can start, like... Laughing at yourself or looking at things as a lesson. Like, that's just a superpower that's going to
0: pay dividends throughout the rest of your life. Mm. Thank you for adding that. That's so beautiful. So let's let's talk a little bit about, a little bit more, we'll use another story about luck and then we'll transition into your book, Making Numbers Count, The Art and Science of Communicating Numbers, which I, I, I'm i so glad that this book was written. It's a book that's, I've been, I didn't realize I needed this book until I read this book. I'm like, holy shit, this is awesome. So before we get into that, let's talk about one other lucky story and because your co-author on this book is Chip Heath. So for those that don't know who Chip Heath is, uh, describe a little bit about him and then how you ended up getting the opportunity to work with he uh chip in being his co-author
1: yeah exactly like talk about luck you know can you learn to be lucky and then i get to write a book with chip heath i mean that's like it works um so chip heath um he's been a professor at stanford business school for 20 years and he's the co-author of four new york times bestsellers with his brother um like switch um made to stick you know how to make your messages sticky which is like the you know marketing book that's been used forever now Um, and so I, I got an email a few years ago, Hey Carla, you know, I loved your book. How would you, or would you be interested in a a lucrative job with me or like working with me? And I was like, what, what? (laughs) I was like, who gets this email? Like what's happening? Um, so I mean, he actually just reached out to me and asked if I wanted to work with him because he liked my first book so much. And I thought um, it was kind of funny because all these things I'd written about in luck, um, it was sort of like it made sense for that. Like, um, you know, we need some sort of like social proof, you know, if you don't know somebody, like if you don't have a good like connection with them personally, um, the best way that people can feel like they can trust you or get to know you is just looking at work that you've already done, like looking at things that you've already accomplished um, so that like, no, actually you can follow through Uh, because, you know, trust is essentially just being able to, Um, Have a good sense of someone's future behavior. And if you don't have, you know, so the best way to look at that is just looking at someone's past behavior. So anyway, so he reached out to me. Um, He really liked my first book. And then he asked if I wanted to work with him on a a corporate project for Hilton. Um, That was sort of like a a test to see if we would work well together to be able to write um, a book together. And so, you know, I really, I just threw myself into the Hilton project as much as I possibly could even though it meant foregoing actually doing a lot of marketing for my first book. Um so it was a trade-off, right? I thought okay, um I know that if this goes well with Chip, that will I don't know, just I just really I made a decision and I stuck with it and then I think um I stuck with it until I kind of like made sure it was going to happen. <laughs> so yeah. at, right, so like after um we finished the Hilton project, then I kind of essentially just like worked with him for free for almost a year before we finally finished the book proposal and sent it off to his agent. And then Simon and Schuster bought it.
0: That's incredible. So let's dive into some of the, uh, product of that luckiness. And I, I just am so excited to dive into making numbers count. So, uh, this comes from some, I think it's the intro of the book, but I had noted to, to read this here. It says "Carlos' superpower is translating super nerdy gibberish to something helpful and easy to understand. <laughs> uh, and then I also wrote in the, in the, in the intro, nobody really understands numbers. Our brains evolved to deal with very small numbers. Uh, and I also made a note most languages have numbers for one to five, but after that language gets generic and translates to lots. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I thought a, a good way to dive into this topic is just by showing not telling a little bit about how we can translate numbers in a way that's really effective. So there's two examples that I pulled that I would love to dive into. And one of them is the example that you give about articulating what a million is versus what a billion is. So would you mind sharing uh, a little bit about the difference between those two and the example you give in the book?
1: Yes, it is. Say you win a million dollars and or a billion dollars, however, much. Um, and on one condition you have to spend $50,000 a day, right? So it seems like it will be awesome. Um, so if you win whatever gift this is on Thanksgiving and you have a million dollars, you would actually be out of money in like three weeks, right? Like more than a week before Christmas. However, if you get a billion dollars and you have to spend $50,000 a day, this would be your full-time job for not just a few weeks, but 55 years. 55
0: years,
1: (laughs) which would be an awesome full-time job. And I am available for that if anybody wants to hire me.
0: All right. Yeah. Anybody listening, if you have a billion dollars to donate to Carla Starr, she will gladly accept the position of spending $50,000 a day. Uh, (laughs) You can find out her contact information on the website (laughs) and I'll accept, I'll accept that position too. Carla and I can split it. We'll do, we'll do $25,000 a day for 55 years. (laughs) Cool. I love that. And I think it's just, it's so, it's so true though, because it's like you, you think about a million or you think about a billion and the brain just literally immediately loses what the heck that means. And by taking that into something that's concrete, it helps us a lot. So that's one example I highlighted. The other example that I thought was absolutely incredible. And this one came from the book about, I think it was from Cheeps, Chips, (laughs) Cheeps, from Chips class. uh, And this one came from his students trying to learn how to articulate, um, basically applying what he's talking about. And it has to do with light bulbs. So, but I'll I'll read it and then Carla, you can elaborate on it. So uh, this is, I'll read the, the first version and then the second version is a translation of it. So the first stat is CFLs use a quarter of the electricity of standard bulbs okay. and last for seven years in between replacements compared with a typical one year replacement cycle. So nothing that anybody's going to go home and tell anyone about, but this it's is a translation. Boring. That they gave in the book. Yeah. boring. boring. <laughs> I, already,
1: I fell asleep when you were saying that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So here's the translation from the book. Replace your lights with CFLs when your child is learning how to walk. The next time you'd have to replace the bulb, your child would be in second grade learning how to add the next time they're taking driver's ed. So Carla, why don't you just take us a little bit behind the magic? Like why is that translation so effective and what were some of the the things that were behind the scenes of creating that?
1: Yeah. So that, you know, we're just looking at seven years, um, but we're translating, you know, seven year periods into like what that would actually look like in real life. And so, you know, we thought, Oh, well, Obviously, like childhood, like that's really easy to see, like the transitions. Um, but um, so we're just looking at that, what that seven year period would be, you know, when someone's growing up. Um, and I think making those concrete, um, those, those concrete steps, like attaching them to something that would happen, um, like driver ed, math, whatever. Um, you know, I think it was called play the highlight reel was the original, um the original lesson in this and it was, you know, instead of like showing every little thing or like just the numbers, it's kind of like, just give people think of it like a montage, right. In a movie where it's like, you're
0: just showing like a few moments and like what that would look like. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. So now you guys have a little bit of a taste of what we're going to dive into. And so my my whole goal for this interview for you listening is basically if you're listening, you're an entrepreneur, you, you want to create a business or you're a marketer and whether it be your marketing or a sales conversation or you're pitching to an investor, you need there will be numbers involved and you need to learn how to articulate that in a way that people can actually understand. So the reason why I love the book so much is because you go into 30 different translation techniques about how you can identify when you need to use this and how to communicate it in an effective way. So obviously Obviously, we won't have time to cram it all in, but we'll see how much magic we can get done in today's time. So uh, the first section that you, you have is translate everything and favor user-friendly numbers. And so I know we're just going to dive into a, a bunch of uh, different examples here, but you talk about how perfect translations don't actually need numbers if you do it the right way. Um, and so you, you, uh, maybe to kick this off, um, and I think this one comes from your, your background with uh, or something from your elementary school, there's a story about uh, a gallon water jug. Yes. I love Can, this one. Would you mind sharing this one?
1: No. Okay. I love this yes. one so much because um, it actually, it wasn't in school. I actually saw this on an earth day special when I was a kid and I still remember nice. it so clearly. Like I still remember like sitting on my floor, like in front of the couch. Um, so if you took all of the earth's water and put it into a gallon jug, humans would only be able to drink a few drops. Right. The other way you could say that is 95% of the Earth's water is salinated, and of that five percent, only blah blah blah. Like most of it is trapped underground or in icebergs, and you know, or polluted, or something. So, I love that because you know you could bore people with all the percentages and the ratios, and it's like you know you just you start to fall asleep because you know numbers are our second language or everyone's second language, and it's kind of like if you or speaking in Spanish, y no crees en nada, and you don't want to translate anything, then people just kind of like, like glaze over their head and they just kind of start. So anyways, yes, it's instead of saying whatever 0.007% of the earth's water is drinkable, it's you just have this nice ratio. It's the same ratio, um, but you're using a different domain, right? You're just shrinking it down into something that people can see that's very clear. That's what we call human scale. Um, and I think that, instead of using huge numbers and it's actually um it works so well when you shrink things down and because as you said before it's like one two three four many um and put something right in front of someone's face because those are the sizes that we're used to dealing with right like we all deal with human scale things like in front of our face every day
0: yeah. And I think in the book, you call this the Goldilocks principle, if I have my right in my notes here. And I think it's the, the, the other thing I highlighted in this particular section, it's like you could very easily say this comes from the book too. So I'm not just sounding very intelligent and just whipping this <laughs> off the top of my head. This is in my notes here. But basically another way you could say this is that if the world's water were put into an Olympic sized swimming pool, humans would only be able to drink 46 gallons of it. Really but the problem with something like that is that even though it is a cool comparison, it's like we are all familiar with the size of a milk jug. Right. Much more than an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Exactly. So,
1: and also, I think um, 46 gallons, I think that's the size of a tub or like a few tubs. Yeah. So it's like a swimming pool. It's like that's big. Um, and that's kind of something maybe we see every now and then. Um, but it's not as clear. So, right. However, you know, we don't want to shrink it down too much. Um, so, right. It's like, there's some magic thing where you get the ratio just right. And that usually ends up being, you know, something that you can see and very clearly imagine right in front of your face. So it's actually funny when we were writing the book and, you know, using all these examples, I thought this actually kind of sounds like things that a middle school science teacher would share. Y- and, yeah. I, and I, <laughs> right. And it's so actually I was talking to a friend of mine, Nicole, and she's a middle school science teacher. And, a, I was like, oh, all of these things, it's exactly what she does. But I thought that actually makes perfect sense because you want these ideas to be very clear and memorable. And I think a lot of times people, they, I'm sorry, I'm like going off, but um, people, they hesitate to do that because they think that there's some sort of trade-off between making an idea really accessible and fun and easy to understand, and A, intelligence, right? oh, no, you have to be smart. You have to, like, show what you're doing. You have to make it so difficult and complicated. And that's not true because, you know, when has anyone ever said, like, oh, Steve Jobs is such an idiot, <laughs> you know? Right. That's never happened. Um, he just got really rich because his ideas spread really quickly because he did all these things. Um, and secondly, they think that there's a trade-off between accessibility or, you know, ability to understand or user-friendliness and accuracy. And I think that's also a really a persistent myth because a lot of times, you know, if you, you can have both, but you do have to put a little bit of thought into your analogy. But when you do it well, like with the gallon jug thing, um, you can have both and it's beautiful and it just, it sticks.
0: Yeah. And I think, too like as, as somebody that has studied copywriting for a long time, it's like you always want to make it so simple that like, it's like a five-year-old can understand it. Like you're not going to get your message communicated effectively if you're not making it as simple as possible. So there's a little uh, heuristic or a test that I guess that anybody can kind of run is like, is this stat kind of bridging on the, oh, I need to have more than a five-year-old's level of understanding? Or is it so powerful that you can communicate it in a sentence and have someone... Understand that, so absolutely,
1: and it has nothing to do with intelligence. I think it's not like oh, you're dumbing it down. It's no, just think of somebody who is very intelligent. You know, maybe they're your friend, but they happen to work in a completely different industry. Like they've just been around. They they have a different skill set. You know, um, and it has nothing to do with intelligence, and I think that's an another a myth that i would like to dispel right you're not dumbing it down you're just making it accessible to everybody because i think even if you think that you are a numbers person and oh this is easy for me this should be easy for everyone to understand you know you have to remember a lot of people don't think that they're numbers people right a lot of people are scarred Mm -hmm. from you know middle school or high school math class and it's just as important if you really want your message to stick and if you really want to get these you know have these things resonate with as many people as possible. Like you have nothing to lose by making them easy to understand.
0: Yeah. So let's zoom in on this a little bit. So we use the example of the, the gallon milk jug and this comes from your section of translate everything, favor user-friendly numbers. An actionable takeaway that people can kind of have from this section is when you encourage them to focus on one at a time. Would yes. you mind expanding on that a little bit?
1: Yes. Um, so I'm, giving a an online class in a couple days and i actually realized i'm spending like half of the workshop talking about like just narrowing it down and like focusing on like one number like one idea that matters and i think um i used to think of this as like you know, Oh, if you have to part with things, it's kind of like the Sophie's choice principle, right? Like you have all these numbers and then you just kind of like let go of things that, you know, don't serve you. But now I I think a better way to think of it is just, um, kind of like Marie Kondo, like step away from all the numbers, step away from everything and just think about what message you want to tell or like what numbers would spark joy. Right. So just think about the overall message that you're trying to get. And then like what number or what idea would help you get there. And I think that that is again so important because like no one's ever left a presentation thinking they should have had more numbers, they should have had more bar graphs, right? They sh- just one and done. Um, I just saw uh, super pumped. It's the I think Showtime series about like the rides and fall or Uber, Travis Kalanick, mm. and there's this part in the beginning and he um, he's talking to the VC and the VC asks him, so how sticky is it, right? And so if you want to talk about customer retention, this is a time when people would you know gladly schlep out the iPad and you know PowerPoint and give you this huge presentation but what he said was if people write it twice we have them for life I was like Mm. beautiful you know it was so funny because I was like now like after having written the book I'm realizing how you know even popular culture when you see people talk about numbers it's like this is just what they seamlessly do because you can just put it into the narrative at any time so he, he chose like a really good number to tell that story and that was it you know
0: yeah. like this, It's a, yeah. it's like the classic uh, Apple slogan too. It's like a thousand songs yeah. in your pocket yeah. versus 20 gigabytes of data or whatever the hell it was, you know? So it's like, it's, it's, it's communicating a story using, you know, or, or translating the numbers or taking the numbers and turning it into a story that our brains are actually designed to remember stories, not numbers. <laughs> exactly. So,
1: yeah. Our brains yeah. To deal with physical things in the real world, like right in front of us.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned in passing, and I just wanna always like to try to clarify for people just in case they don't know, Marie Kondo, she's a professional organizer, um, the life-changing art of tidying up, if I remember the the title of her book. And so all about simplicity uh, and making sure that you're getting to the core of things. So I think that's kind of where you're going with that is like, what is the core of what we're really trying to communicate here and making sure that that one thing really gets emphasized. So love that. So let's continue on with some other ways that people can apply this. And we kind of alluded to this before about taking things into the human scale, but you know, there you have a whole section on this is helping people to ground something that's familiar and concrete. Uh, and one of the things you talk about here is something called find your fathom. Um, so I was, I was excited to find out what the hell a fathom was to begin with because it's like people say that. So maybe just as a fun fact, if you wouldn't mind sharing what a fathom is, um, (laughs) but, but explain what that, that concept means.
1: Yeah. So a fathom is the distance. I believe it's essentially just like your wingspan, you know, if like your arms are outstretched, like, you know, tip to tip, um, and so that is important because there's this really fascinating anthropological uh, paper that I found and it was like how different cultures have developed different systems or units of measurement throughout history. And so there are kind of three, three types, like there's something that's tiny, so you're using part of your body. So it might be like um, your foot or a knuckle or something. And then the, um, the second kind is ones that are like, you know, whole body length, right? So it's like a fathom is, you know, arms outstretched. And then the third thing is units of measurement over time so um i think my favorite one that i thought was wolf day is that's the distance that it takes a wolf to walk in one day it's called
0: the wolf day (laughs) wow right is it a wolf walking on a straight line or is it a wolf kind of meandering (laughs) i guess we'll never know it's like
1: culture it's like they kind of like had that like that was an instinctive unit of measurement that they had Um, or even like, you know, the term mile comes from, I think, um, mille passes, you know, it was like a thousand steps, you know, so that actually comes from something that's like, you know, Roman Mm -hmm. soldiers walking. Um, and so find your fathom is, so that's a shorthand for, you know, find the unit of measurement that like maps on to whatever size it is that you want. Right. So another term for it is like a perspective sentence. So you can think like, oh, to put that in perspective, that's like twice the size of your car or, oh, to put that into perspective, that's like, you know. Half your mortgage or something. So essentially, we're just using an analogy. This is how the brain works. We just associate or whatever it is that we don't know, we frame that in terms of something that we do know. Mm-hmm. So that's that's it. Like it's really a simple. It's like analogy. That's how our brain works. Um, so I just I love that because it's so simple and also it goes across like storytelling and just education and um, you know cognition and all these different areas um, and I, that's also so important for for math or for numbers or when you're trying to communicate them.
0: Yeah. Cool. And another another thing you had in the book that I highlighted just to make sure I remember was something that you called the MacGyver principle. So it's essentially the same thing. It's just like looking lo- look at what's around you, right? Like like look at what's available for you to use as something that could be an example. Yeah,
1: exactly. So um you know, put it in perspective. So um you know, part of the like when I give workshops about this you will say um, like 330,000 people. So that's about like the size of Lexington, Kentucky. However, that might not be a good frame of reference or reference point for people in Europe, you know, so you could like use a town in Germany that has that many people. So use the MacGyver principle is essentially just, um, you know, it's like design thinking, like have empathy for your audience, think about what makes sense to them. Um, so think about like a geographical reference, that they might get or something that they might use in everyday life, right? Like the size of a minivan might not be the best thing if you're talking to like a bunch of executives in Europe. Um, And so just think about like, you know, what is in their periphery or what is it they use? um, And then like be able to just, or think about how to explain your number in a term that makes sense to those people. And all in Mm -hmm. the Guyver principle, it sounds really silly, but it, you know, use things that are around you i mean literally you know you could talk about like um i don't know like the height of a house you know on bricks you know like if you wanted to talk about compound interest or something
0: yeah, well let here let's let's get this is my favorite example here because I'm sure everybody listening you will have one of these things and everybody experienced it as during covid different states different countries communicated how far six feet was by using different things uh, this wasn't from the book but I'm from Wisconsin and I for sure saw a sign that says about a cow's length away I love it. which I haven't uh, like as, as a Wisconsinite, I haven't seen that many cows like there's <laughs> just cows all over the place but still kind of like a funny Wisconsin joke like haha it's about a cow's length away so I think that's probably Another example of everywhere, um, you know, Canada using hockey sticks or something for being six feet away, um, just looking at your available resources to communicate. It's like like in in France, your France, it was like
1: two baguettes. I think. Canada <laughs> Japan, it was like a tatami mat.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: um, California was a surfboard. <laughs>
0: There you go. Yeah, so there's perfect examples of the MacGyver principle being used in in the real world. I want to get make sure we we highlight a really important point here because like I, I can see this is this is where I went to it right away and I made this mistake because I started applying uh, stuff in the book and we'll get to that in a little bit because I want to get your opinion on it. But basically one of the things that I think you encourage you, you encourage people to avoid is using like massive multipliers. like you don't want to say four koalas or 72 pistachios. Would you mind talking a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially when you're, um, using a perspective sentence, like ideally it would be as big as, you know, so we saw like a lot of those social distancing guidelines. It was like one surfboard, right. One moose, one cow. Um, but the problem is when you start using like, you know, 20, right. Think our brain is like one, two, three, four, many, you know, like Mm -hmm. we don't know that like exactly like 72 pistachio nuts, like that's not a common frame of reference. Um, so I think like the further away you get from one, the less precise other people's estimates or ideas of the size will be, I think like half and twice is good. Like those are good because we don't have to use numbers for them. Like they're used or referenced so frequently, we actually just have numbers for half and twice, you know? So I think Mm -hmm. three is good. I think maybe five would be the upper limit, you know, but when you start saying like, oh, this is 15 times bigger, it's like, we just don't, it just becomes many.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, so there's another good shortcut for you is like try to find not only something that's MacGyver, but also something that is a simple multiple. But you're not trying to imagine five hundred cars stacked on top of each other because no one knows what the hell that's like. Exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. So let's go. uh, Another another thing I highlighted is converting abstract numbers into concrete objects. And you tell this really cool story about Grace Hopper in the book. Would you mind sharing about Grace and what she did to communicate her insights? Yes. So
1: Grace Hopper. She was a very high-ranking Navy officer, um, but she also she dealt with engineers. You know, so she was one of those people who had to like talk to the sciencey people about like why it was so important for them to code something and to shave. Um, units of time off um, so that the I think it was um, so the software could communicate to the satellites you know faster or whatever Um, and so she took out um, a bunch of wire she said oh you don't think that seconds count and so she had was it like 100 almost a thousand feet of wire or cable that she showed them she's like no actually if you cut something down by a microsecond like this is the actual distance that light travels because you know when you're talking about like um Weapons and war, like that distance actually matters, you know, and like that's the difference mm-hmm. between life and death. And so that was her way of communicating, like, why every unit of time mattered.
0: Yeah. Love that. So Carla, I would love to take this opportunity to be very selfish. And I, I started applying some of the, the, the concepts from the book. So I would love to get your feedback on some of the ways we can communicate it. So I have an idea about how to do this, but you're the pro. So I don't want to put words in your mouth. But one of the things that I've been saying to people for a while is that within a year, my podcast hit a top 2% global ranking on listen notes. Um, and it, it sounds impressive, but it's one of those things where it's like top 2% Like, what does that really mean? You encourage people, You well, you gave a specific example of a few things that were like one in a hundred. Like basically if you had two decks of cards and you took out one card, that's approximately 1%. So like one way I was thinking about starting to communicate it is if I'm a magician and I fanned out some cards in front of you and you pick one card, that one card would be representative of all the other podcasts that are about this size and bigger. And the remaining deck is all the other podcasts. That was, so is that a good way of doing it? Yeah, or that's a great you know
1: way. You? Or also you, and you could say, Hey, you're, you're watching a movie, you know, and every two minutes is a different podcast, right? You would watch it. And then at the very end, it's like, that's me. I'm getting more listens, more mm. downloads than anything else you saw up until now you're emphasizing like you know, what being in the top 2% means. So you want to like, mm. in that case, give an example of the ratio and show like how awesome it is that like you're in the top 2%, right? And like, so really what you want to emphasize in that case is the 98% that you're beating, right? Right. And how much that is.
0: Hmm. I appreciate the the coaching, and hopefully that gave people some some insights too. It's like if you have any numbers that you're using in your marketing, or um, you know some ways that you're looking to open the doors to a strategic partnership, and you're talking about your list size, like what are some of the ways that you could uh, make those more concrete for people, um, and also easily more easily shareable, I would say. It's like, that's another person that's been on my show, Michael Roderick, he talks about packaging your ideas to make them shareable. Do you, I mean, I guess this is this is me talking out loud and coming up with a question mid-sentence. Do you have any insights on <laughs> on like, like like or correlations between the translating of numbers and the shareability of the idea as well?
1: 100%. Okay, so I'm glad you brought that up because this book- Okay, cool. <laughs> originated um, with Chip. He was teaching the made to stick framework at um, Stanford Business School. And, you know, one of the principles was like, make it concrete, don't use numbers, like don't use numbers, don't use numbers. And one of his students said, actually, I'm in finance, you know, like all of my How stories are in numbers? numbers, right? Like I cannot yeah. avoid them whatsoever. So he started making one one of his lectures just specifically about numbers. And that was like the origin story for this book. Like that was sort of our takeoff mm-hmm. point. So there are some things here that overlap with made to stick. Uh, But I also, I started doing like a research deep dive into my own and looking at like just numbers in general, like how we think of them and how we could think of them better. And it all, like so much of it is just being able to translate the numbers into English, right? Or, you know, whatever language. Um, And also just like bring them into the real world, like bring them into like some concrete experience that people remember, Um, you know, like a quick story that you could tell. Um, And so I think pretty much all like a lot of the principles in the book are they're actually like 100% it's like in a memorable framework that people will be able to pass along easily i think that's like really mm-hmm. like the gold standard
0: yeah because it's like anybody listening to this if you liked the if you want to wow your friends you can easily tell them about the gallon jug and the three drops of water <laughs> being how much human like like that's so easily easy to share like and like you said earlier compared to saying of the earth's water is unpotable, and the other parts is salinated. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Gross, gross. So uh, love that. Let's talk about there's two um, other things that we we identified as being uh, really cool topics to talk about. One of them is time. How do we communicate time in a way that is like tangible for people?
1: Yes, I love using time because I think one of the things in the book, um, you know, it talks about a lot is how – things that we want like the numbers that we want to communicate to other people it might be growth it might be money it might be size um and these are all dimensions that we don't necessarily use every day or like the people you're talking to like they might not use it every day in a way that it's really intuitive for them to know about like what 72 pistachios looks like but what do people measure and use constantly time so like framing things in terms of time i think is just a really really strong way Um, so for example, you know, you could talk about like the, you know, the ratio of like the gallon jug, you know, it's like how many minutes a day would that be? You know, um, I actually, I don't know off the top of your head, but it would be so impressive (laughs) to be able to say, Oh, it's just a few minutes a day. Right. Or with the, um, you know, we started was what, how long would it take you to spend $50,000 a day? Right. It's like a few weeks versus 55 years, you know, like intuitively Mm -hmm. we know that that's such a, a greater amount of time. Um, because it's, that number is so much bigger, so I think we know time. Time you can use time in two ways, like or a few ways, obviously, but um, in ratio in terms of like how much time per day that would take, um, or you could use just overall size. Like there's one um, example in here about Jeff Bezos, um, <laughs> and I think if you, a thousand, if a hundred thousand dollars represents one step, right? Like that's your net worth. Um, Right. So a millionaire would be you walking up 10 steps, Um, you know, in order to climb, you know, and reach the net worth of a billionaire. You know, you'd have to walk for three hours. Um, Okay, so in order to ascend to the heights of like Bezos or Elon Musk, climbing stairs would have to be your full time job for two months. Mm. That's crazy, right? So we're not we're. I just love that story because I think if you were to say, like, how much money something is, it like, again, so many zeros, it just goes over your head. You don't even know it. Um, But just even the idea that we're no longer counting steps, we're counting how long it would take to climb the steps, like, in and of itself is, like, pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, I love that. I had that as an example highlighted to bring up is because you said you'd have Iron Man level quads by the time (laughs) you finally reach the wealth of Jeff Bezos, which like, uh, holy shit, like, I mean, anybody can imagine climbing an endless staircase when the first step represents $100,000, you know? Yeah. So I think that that is that is that a good way to think about it is essentially it's like, let me take um, a number and play around with because I'll just kind of bounce on, or b- bounce around some of the things we've already played with. It's like, okay, how could I take this and how could I translate it into something that's concrete, tang- tangible, like a gallon jug? Or w- if that doesn't work, how can I take it and turn it into something like? time, like what you talked about with the Thanksgiving to Christmas or, uh, you know, and spending $50,000 a day um, or, or something concrete here, like stepping on stairs. So basically what you're doing is you're, you're looking around for different contexts that you can take this and say, okay, how can I communicate this same thing, but switch it into a different context so that it's more memorable and easier to play with?
1: Yes, absolutely. So like um, switch it into a different domain. Um, and honestly, like the MacGyver principle, I think it works wonders, Um, uh, because it ends up, first of all, one of the things that it does is it can remove bias. So there's an example in here about, um, you know, if you wanted to take away the, you know, the NEA budget, like to remove the NEA budget, which, um, you know, with the time we talked about in here is like $140 million in the budget, right? So you think that you're going to balance the federal budget by taking away the NEA budget, well, that's actually like trying to edit a 60,000 word novel by removing four words.
0: <laughs> mm.
1: That does nothing. Um, or the gallon right. drug example. Um, so if you just imagine that you made $75,000 a year, but you could only spend five of those dollars. Mm-hmm. That's that's the same ratio, but like in a different domain. And so one of the things mm. I love about it is because if you talk about the budget, like people have such strong emotions and such strong attachments to like how money should be spent. Um, that it's, mm. if you talk about money in terms of money, sometimes it's like, it doesn't really even matter what the facts are, or what the numbers are, you know, people already have like an idea of what should be done. But if you talk about it in a completely different domain, then they're just responding to the ratio and they're just mm. responding to the data in a way that you can mm. actually like discuss it and determine like leave politics at home.
0: Yeah, that's, that's huge. I never even thought about that is that people have predispositions, like past bad experiences with almost any topic. And so yes. that's another way to kind of shortcut that is like, if we're talking about apples or bananas instead of money, yeah. <laughs> like you like usually you probably don't, <laughs> unless you had an instance where you ate too many apples and bananas and grew up <laughs> as a kid, but, but like, that's probably, probably not as likely as people having money trauma stories or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or
1: even if like, um and also as we've said before, like, you know, people, like, I think, so many people have like bad experiences in math class. So even if you were to talk about like percentage and like what that means, like interest growth, right. Or instead of how about like, Oh, you put a few bricks over there, you know, leave it alone. And then at some point later it's like, you have a house, you know, Mm -hmm. like talking about things like that instead of compound interest, because, you know, I think a lot of people, they might be like, Oh, like, you know, my, my grandpa lost all his fortune, blah, 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 or like something, right. Like, but if you just yeah. put things in a different domain, it removes the possibility for that entirely.
0: 100%. Love that. Well, Carla, I know we're coming up on time here. So uh, let's talk really quickly. Where can people find out like more about the book? Obviously, anybody can go grab a copy of Making Numbers Count, The Art and Science of Communicating Numbers. Uh, you can find that on Amazon. But where else would you want people to check out the stuff that you're up to?
1: Yeah. Um, I have Substack, Carla Star. Um, it's called The Star Report. Uh, my website is kstar.com. There's also a link there for if you are interested in hearing more about that. Um, I enjoy giving workshops and things of that nature. So that's two good points. And that's
0: star with two R's, 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 correct?
1: P-S-T-A-R-R.
0: All right. So that will be linked up in the show notes. And, um, I just want to have a really quick conversation with you listening right now before we head out. And I just want to say, if this is your very first time listening to a show and you could be anywhere else, you could be listening to any other podcast, but you decided to hang out with Carla and myself today. So I, for that, I really appreciate it. And hopefully you learned some awesome fun facts that you can share with your friends and learn how to translate numbers more effectively. And if you're a returning listener, you know how much I appreciate you for coming back every single week and whether you're new or returning, I always say the same thing every single week. I don't get sick of it. but my life has absolutely been changed by podcasts that have been shared with me so if you have a friend that's about to make a presentation or if you're about to make a presentation or um, you know you're looking at you have somebody you know a friend that has a stat on their website that you're like hey this could be spruced up a little bit you can absolutely make a massive impact if you just click two buttons and you share this with them and they can learn how to communicate more effectively and have their ideas spread more so uh, whether you choose to do that or not I appreciate you so much and uh, Carla thank you so much for your time any final things that you'd want to say? before we head off today?
1: Um, There is, oh, there's a cheat sheet on my website.
0: Ooh, all right. So go grab the cheat sheet. Final words. (laughs) (laughs) Go grab the cheat sheet. Awesome. Carla, thanks so much. This has been an absolute blast and I look forward to continuing the conversation.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me, Brandon. It's been a delight.